Good morning, First Baptist Church of Flushing. How are we? <laughs> okay, today we light the hope candle. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hope looks to God and waits on him with a firm expectation that he will fulfill his promises. Allied with hope are the ideas of faith and patience, endurance and trust, of joy and a settled peace that God will do what he says he will do. Israel had been beaten down by a succession of world powers. In their distress, they call out, Come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Yet in the cry there is hope, a strong expectation that God will keep his promises to send a Messiah, a deliverer. The hope is fulfilled on the first Christmas day when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, God's Savior, sent to planet Earth to save us, from our sins and to deliver us from whatever oppresses us. People live in hope of one who can help them. Jesus is that person, present today by the Holy Spirit to deliver us from any need. He is the one we hope for. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for sending Jesus into our world, our hope of glory, our blessed hope of resurrection and eternal life. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. We now light the hope candle. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Baptist Church and happy December. Yay! <laughs> We're so glad that you could join us for the start of this Advent season. So if you rise and you can join us in worship. Sing Hark the Herald. Hark the Herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and Love. 
have to say, standing up here on stage is very different than in the congregation. So um, when I hear this, I just imagine that this must be just a little glimpse of what heaven must be like. And so that really like moved me. So um, I just want to say thank you for blessing me with that this morning. So let's sing the last song. <laughs> Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, and I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus, cause He's never.
God's faithfulness in your life and how he's brought you through each and every season of life. Um, but maybe for some of you, you're not ready to do that, and that's okay. Maybe the storms in your life right now seem too great or seem too overwhelming. Um, but I just want to remind you that our God, our God is greater than any storm in your life. His faithfulness is greater than any storm in your life. And his goodness is greater than any storm in your life. And his love for you is greater than any storm in your life. So when you put your hope in the Lord, you realize that he's never failed you all along. And that he'll never leave you. And just, he's always ready. And he's waiting and willing for you. So when you're ready, just join me in singing this next part. Sing Rain Came. morning we come standing in the house of the Lord, a house that he built. And we know that 
Nothing can stand against. We recall the words of the writer of Hebrews 10, 23, who tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Please bow with me as we pray. On this first day of Advent, Lord, we celebrate the hope of the Messiah. Lord, and we're reminded there are hundreds of verses, messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that speak to the hope that only Jesus could give. Father God, we know that the Spirit, your Spirit, rests upon him. You have anointed him to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound. And it is by this we know and are confident that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, during this time of Advent, there are many things that compete for our time, talent, and treasures, but none of them offers what you can. We confess that the distractions of this season have at times cost us, caused us to focus on creation and not the Creator. For that, we ask you for your forgiveness. And we pray that while we may have many obligations and challenges to navigate, you will not allow any of them to cause us to lose our confidence or the hope that we have in you. We pray this morning to trust you more fully, to trust in the only one who left heaven, came to earth as a baby, to suffer, die, and rise again in glory. Show us how to put our hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone as the Messiah and Savior of our mortal souls. Heavenly Father, we, we know based on this firm foundation, Lord, we come before you and can come before you boldly this morning to your throne room of grace and that you will hear our prayers and answer in your own way, in your own time. This morning, we lift up to you, Lord, the conflicts across that are raging across the world, Lord, conflicts in Ukraine, Russia, conflicts in, in Israel and in Gaza. Father, in, in the various uh, un, unease and, and violent risings in, in the other parts of the world, particularly in Africa, this morning we pray for peace. We pray for peace across the globe, and especially we pray for, for peace in Israel, Father, the birthplace of our Savior. Lord, we, we pray for an end to hostilities. We pray for a total return of all the hostages. Father, we pray for, for a time of healing, a, prime, a time of restoration. Father, we, we pray, Lord, for a, a better way, Lord. Lord, we pray that, that you will intervene, Lord, and, Lord, stop this conflict, Lord, in, in, in a way only you can, Lord, a miraculous way, Father. Only you, Lord, uh, can minister to, to the hearts that are filled with pain that, that have generated and festered for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Father, we pray that you will bring the balm of Gilead to that region, Lord, and, and heal their wounds, bringing peace. Lord God, we also pray for our country, Lord, um, as we're, we're nearly upon a, a new election cycle. Father, we pray that you will raise up uh, men and women of integrity to, to lead this nation, and, and Lord, in and, and truth, and in honesty, Father, to, to seek the good of the people, Lord, and not their own self-interest. Lord God, we especially pray uh, here in our metro area, Lord, for the influx of migrants, which continues even daily. Father, we pray that this Advent season that they will receive a welcome, 
They were created in your image, Lord, and they deserve no less. Father, help us, Lord, to, to look upon them as you would, Father, and, and to offer a, a, even a cup of water, Lord, whatever we could, Lord, to, to, to bring them hope, Lord, uh, to show them, Lord, that, that they matter, Lord, that their lives matter, that they are loved. Father, help us to show the love of Christ to strangers, for we don't know if we may even be ministering to angels when we do. Lord God, this morning, we want to pray for our community of Flushing as, as the word is preached here in the sanctuary, Lord. We pray that your truth will go out, Lord, beyond the confines of these walls, Lord, that, that we will take it to the community, Lord, that your hope, Lord, will, will bring a light to those living in darkness, Lord, for those enslaved by evil, Father, uh, modern-day slavery, Lord, and human trafficking, Lord, we pray for for the liberty of those who are captured uh, even now in this community, Father. And for those, Lord, who are addicted to, to substance abuse, Lord, and, 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 and other addictive behaviors that are self-destructive, Lord, and, Lord, causing them self-harm. Father, we, we pray for, for you to, to open their eyes and break their chains, Lord, and show them that, that you are there to heal them, Lord, that they can turn to you, Lord, for help. Father, we pray that the word of truth this morning will, will open the eyes of those who are in captivity to the evil one, Lord, to show them that, that you truly are the, the master of, of the universe, Lord, that you are the sovereign of our souls, Lord, and, and you have the words of life, Lord, to, Lord to, to give us eternal hope in Christ Jesus. This morning we pray as, as the pastor uh, comes to bring the word, Lord, that you would speak through him, Lord, that you use these, these words, Lord, uh, to, to speak to our hearts, Lord, uh, to shine a light in the darkness, Lord, and, and Lord, to, to cut away from us all, all that encumbers, Lord, all that uh, is an obstacle for us to come to you, Lord. This morning we pray, Lord, that you will bless our service, Lord. May it bring you glory, Lord. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 9. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camel of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall, come upon, they shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. 
Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastland shall come, shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to take an informal poll this morning. How many of you consider yourselves morning people? Morning people. Well, you can put your hand down for one second. And by that I mean you're up at the break of dawn, you're bright-eyed, you're energized, and you're ready to face the day. Any morning people here? Morning people say things like, once I'm up, I'm up. And they have smiles on their faces, even before they have a cup of coffee in their hand. Now, I have a large family, and in my family, we have some morning people. We have a few night owls, and then we have a few third birds, sort of the, the in-between folks. But when it comes to sleep, I think we all have one thing in common. We all like to get up on our own. We like to get up on our own. We don't want anybody or anything pressuring us to jump out of bed before we're ready whether it's a jackhammer, a car alarm, or someone coming into our room and uttering those dreadful words, rise and shine. The three hardest words for any of us to hear are the three that too often come to us in our moments of greatest slumber, rise and shine. I think the only thing worse than hearing those words before you're ready to hear those words is being in a position where you have to say those words to someone else like your spouse or your children. I hate being that parent. I hate being the parent to come into the room who has to say to the kids when they're getting up for school, come on, rise and shine, time to get to bed. There's a lot of rejection in that moment, if you don't know. My wife, like most moms, has no problem with that. If you don't rise and shine, when Hazel Ann says rise and shine, next thing you feel will be a cup of cold water poured over your feet. And it only gets worse from there. Now, the reason I bring it up is because Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was in a very similar position. Here in Isaiah chapter 60, he calls out to the people of Israel, and he says in verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. This is a wake-up call uh, spoken to people who probably wanted to pull the covers back over their head and go back to sleep because of the gloom and the oppression and the injustice and just the general darkness that, that covered this region of the world back in the 8th century when Isaiah was a prophet, the 8th century BC. This was a very dark period in Israel's history. It was during that time that the northern kingdom of Israel actually went into captivity. The Assyrians came in and took them away. But here Isaiah kind of throws open those blackout curtains to reveal this staggering sunlight that's streaming in through the window. And he says, rise and shine, for your light has come. Now, some of you will probably recognize part of this passage as a text from Handel's Messiah. I don't know if you knew this, but Handel wrote the Messiah in, I think, 24 days, back in 1640 or so. And then 40 years later, John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, preached a series of 50 sermons, 50 consecutive sermons on the texts that Handel used in the Messiah. We won't do that. We'll just preach this one text. And this particular passage comes in scene three of the Messiah. 
under the heading, The Prophecy of the Birth of Christ. And so Handel and like many others before him and after him, recognize Isaiah chapter 60 as an Advent text. And so it's an appropriate text for us to begin this Advent season. And this text primarily is about one thing, one word, and that word is glory. If you actually read the whole of Isaiah 60, you will discover that the word glory is used repeatedly in this chapter. And so on your own, sometime go through the whole chapter and just underline a circle the word glory or glorify as it appears in Isaiah chapter 60. Now, as I prepared this uh, this past week, I was reminded of Jonathan Edwards, the great Jonathan Edwards, whose life and thought were taken up with the glory of God. And this was the theme of one of his most important works written towards the end of his life entitled The End for Which God Created the World. Now, that's a great title for a book, The End for Which God Created the World. And in there, he writes this sentence. The great end of God's works is indeed but one, and this one end is most properly and comprehensively called the glory of God. Everything God does, everything God does in redemption, in creation, in providence, in his uh, general ruling of the universe is all for his glory. According to J.I. Packer, another great theologian, He says, the only answer the Bible ever gives to questions that begin, why did God, why did God do this, why did God do that, the only answer ever given is, for his own glory. Now that's a great answer. Because somewhere along the way, you know, Christians are going to ask you questions about the Bible. People are going to ask you questions, hard questions, questions that you might not be able to answer. Why did God tell Joshua to go into those cities and exterminate everyone? Men, women, children, animals, Kittens, all of it. Why exterminate all of it? And we kind of, we struggle with some of that. And we try to give answers, but the ultimate answer is this. For his own glory. Everything God does, even the trials and the sorrows and the, the suffering and the afflictions that come into our lives. Things that we talked about this morning during the worship. All of it for his own glory. Everything God does is for his own glory. Everything God permits is for his own glory. Everything God pursues is for his own glory glory. And once you realize that, once you see that, you will not be able to read the Bible without seeing that truth sprinkled all throughout Scripture. Now Isaiah, the prophet, ministered almost exclusively in Jerusalem from 740 to 701 BC. Isaiah ministered for about 40 years, and he was primarily in Judea, primarily in Jerusalem. He was in the royal court. 40 years of ministry. I'm in my 34th year of ministry, so I have another six before I catch up to Isaiah. And Isaiah had that experience at the beginning of his ministry, back in Isaiah chapter 6, where he had that vision and he saw the Lord high and lifted up with his glory filling the temple. And then he heard these angels, these seraphim, these cherubim, singing and declaring throughout the corridors of eternity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah's ministry was driven by that vision of the glory of God. And now we're at the end of his prophecy, his very long and difficult prophecy. Have you ever tried to read through Isaiah? If you're in one of those Bible reading plans and you're going through the Bible in a year, you get to Isaiah, that is a hard book to get through. Every time I sit down and try to read through Isaiah, I stumble and I struggle because it's a very challenging book. Isaiah does not write for, uh, for simpletons. 
Isaiah uses lots of metaphors and images and quasi-apocalyptic language and, and maybe you're not the one who likes metaphors. Uh, you like straight talk. I get that. I think it's a left brain, right brain uh, kind of thing. And in Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah has a vision of the glory of God rising and shining. And this chapter is just filled with, with metaphors and images where Isaiah is talking about something, but he's using language that's familiar to him, even though the things he is writing about are not necessarily from his moment in, in space and time. And so we have to kind of unpack these metaphors and get to the heart of what Isaiah is saying. Now, let me just set this chapter in, in context because uh, you've not been in a, in a series on Isaiah. In the middle of Isaiah's prophecy, around chapters 40 to 53 or so, Isaiah talks about a person, a, a figure known as the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. And he gives us what is known as the, the four servant songs. Now, you know some of them. Uh, the most famous one is found in Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions, that passage. And these servant songs are about Jesus. Jesus is the suffering servant of the Lord, the one who would be filled with God's word, the one who would speak God's word, the one who would be empowered by God's spirit, and the one who would deliver his people from their sins by himself being crushed and pierced and really just uh, destroyed in order to bear the penalty for our sins. But he doesn't end his prophecy with the servant songs. He doesn't end in Isaiah 53. He ends with four additional songs in Isaiah chapters 60 through 63 that are parallel to the servant songs. They mirror image the, the, the servant songs. And these songs are of the anointed king, the conqueror, the king. And that too is Jesus. And, and this all ties together. And so of all the prophets in the Old Testament, the one who actually speaks the most comprehensively about the person and life and the work of Jesus Christ is Isaiah, is Isaiah. Now I want to unpack Isaiah 60 by asking three questions of this passage. What does Isaiah see? What does it mean? And what effect is it meant to produce on us? In other words, so what? What does he see? What does it mean? So what? Now, what did Isaiah see? Now, remember, Isaiah is not writing like Paul writes in his letters. Paul is very, very organized. You know, he writes these propositional statements, very easy to outline Paul's letters. He says this, he says this, he gives a, a big statement, then he backs it up with reasons and points and subpoints. Isaiah is not doing that. Isaiah is kind of uh, describing this, this vision that he has. And he sees, first of all, darkness. He sees darkness. Deep darkness covers the earth. And Isaiah is, is not so much thinking about his own time. Yes, it, it's dark in the 8th century. It, it, was, it was a dark time. Assyria has already threatened the northern kingdom of Israel. They're beginning to threaten the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem. Samaria up in the north is gone. Jerusalem is about to fall. They don't fall to Assyria, though. But Babylon is, is lying in the wings. And so these are very dark days in, in Israel. But Isaiah is, is really looking towards the future. It's just not clear at this moment how far into the future he's looking, but he's looking into the future. Because Isaiah is a, a prophet. And prophets were sometimes known as seers. They, they could see things. They could see beyond their moment. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he could see things in the future. And Isaiah sees great darkness, deep darkness out there in the future. 
Now, if you're into, into Lord, Lord of the Rings, I know a lot of you are. I love Lord of the Rings, great movies. Uh, you get this metaphor. Because from the very beginning, you're aware as you're making this long journey through these three movies, or if you're into literature, the three books, uh, with, with hundreds of characters, that darkness is coming to this fictional realm known as Middle-earth. And it's coming from Mordor and, and Sauron, and this, this darkness is, is spreading. Isaiah sees darkness and, and the power of darkness. And he sees darkness that is getting deeper and, and deeper. And this is a theme you'll, you'll notice if you've gone through Isaiah that he, kinda, he comes to again and again and again in the prophecy. Way back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now you know that great passage in Isaiah 9 it culminates with the, the child born who, whose name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah is looking out into the future and he sees this deep darkness. But he doesn't see, it's not political darkness, it's not uh, darkness just uh, in the happenings of, of the earth, it's something else. He then sees light, a light that begins to shine, a light that shines brightly, like the, like the dawn of a new day. And at first, this light seems to be objective, a, a light that is shining. But you'll notice in this passage, the light then becomes subjective. And it begins to shine out of this, this people. And then Isaiah sees people marching toward the light that is now inside those people. And this, too, is happening in Isaiah's future. What else does he see? He sees the glory. What is the glory? What is the glory of God? It is the power and presence of Almighty God made visible in some way. That's the glory of God. It's a very deep and comprehensive uh, theological word. God is invisible. God cannot be seen. He, he doesn't have a body, but even in the Old Testament, God would manifest himself. God would make himself known in, in some way. Um, and when you, when you see it and, and when you appreciate it, you're, you're seeing the glory of God. It was Moses who famously asked God in Exodus 33. He said, God, please show me your glory. Do you remember that? He says, show me your glory. What a great prayer. Show me your glory. And what does God show him? God says, my goodness will pass in front of you. And then when God's goodness passed in front of Moses, God then spoke his own name. And then as he went past Moses, he allowed Moses to see the back parts of God, whatever that means. And so uh, Moses wants to see the glory of God, so God made himself known in this way to Moses. Isaiah, though, is, is looking into the future. He's not looking back to Moses. He's looking into the future, and there's darkness. But then there's light, and in the midst of that light, there's glory, the presence and power of God made manifest so that you could see it and appreciate it and even feel it. Well, what is this glory of God that he sees? When you turn to the New Testament, and of course now I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but, but I can't help it. I need to jump ahead just a little bit right now. The glory of God is made manifest in a baby lying in a manger on a cold, dark night in Bethlehem. We have seen, John said, John chapter 1, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what does Isaiah see? Isaiah sees Jesus. Isaiah sees Jesus. In fact, if you just back up from Isaiah 60, go back to chapter 59, listen to what Isaiah writes. Isaiah 59, verse 20, he says, 
the Redeemer will come. The Redeemer will come. Then in verse 21, But as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you. Upon who? Upon the Redeemer. And my words that are put in your mouth, the Redeemer's mouth, shall not depart out of your mouth. Isaiah is speaking here of the servant of the Lord, the servant from the servant songs, and God is making a covenant with his people, and the core of this covenant is this servant who is endowed with the Spirit of God and with the words of God, and who then comes into the world to enforce or to ratify or to bring into effect this new covenant. This is what Isaiah sees. So he sees darkness, and he sees light, and he sees glory, and he sees a Redeemer, and he sees Zion. Isaiah 59, 20. The Redeemer will come where? To Zion. And that's Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem. And now I think your eyes are, are, are opening even more. You're beginning to understand what Isaiah is talking about here. A Redeemer is coming to Zion who is going to bring power and change and, and new life and hope and, and salvation into the hearts of those who are willing to receive him. Isaiah sees all of this, and it's still 700 years into his future. Now you kind of go back and you reread Isaiah, and, and certain things are going to start to stand out to you even more. You go back and you, you hit Isaiah 7, which tells us that this particular Redeemer is, is going to be born of a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 9, he tells us that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53 tells us that he will be pierced for our sins and crushed for our iniquities. And it is in this way that he will establish a new covenant in his blood. And then when Jesus comes at the end of his life, just before he goes to the cross, he meets with his disciples in the upper room and he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And what Jesus is telling us is that he is the servant of the Lord that Isaiah spoke about. And then Isaiah sees one more thing. Isaiah sees the nations coming to Zion. Isn't that interesting? He sees the nations coming. The, the light comes to Zion, and the nations are drawn to that light. The glory that appears there is now drawing the Gentiles. It's drawing the nations. And boy, I wish I had time to cover all of chapter 60 with you this morning because it's a magnificent chapter. And at the heart of it is also this, this theme of, of missions. It's all about the nations bringing their wealth and their worship to the feet of a covenant mediator, being attracted by the light that shines out from him and it shines out from his people. And now remember, Isaiah is describing this with words and terminology and, and historical uh, baggage that are familiar to him. And so that's what Isaiah sees. The bigger question is, what exactly does it mean? What is he referring to? Now, I already tipped my hand a little bit, but let me just backtrack just a little bit. Some people, when they read Isaiah chapter 60, believe that Isaiah is only talking about Israel's return from captivity or the southern kingdom's return from captivity in Babylon. Because Isaiah had been saying that uh, throughout his prophecy, and, and other prophets had been talking about the captivity and then They'll return back from that captivity, and God will bring them back to the land. And so people look at this and say, well, this is probably what Isaiah is, is talking about again. And in this visionary, semi-apocalyptic, metaphorical way, he's simply describing how one day God will bring uh, his people back out of Babylon, bring them back to Israel. They'll, they'll rebuild the city of Jerusalem. They'll rebuild the temple. 
uh, some of the former glory will come back and some nations will now come back to them and so on. And I would just suggest to you that that is a partial fulfillment of what Isaiah talks about here. But this partial fulfillment is actually pointing towards a much greater fulfillment. In fact, it's very clear from the language in this chapter that Isaiah is painting a much bigger picture than the return of a handful of exiles from a faraway place called Babylon. And I'll tell you who else thinks so. Jesus thinks that. You may recall from Luke's Gospel that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he came to Nazareth and he went into the synagogue and somebody handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Very different than handing him a Bible and with the book of Isaiah. Hands him the scroll of Isaiah. And it says in Luke chapter 4 that he kind of opened up the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. And it goes on to, to set the captives free, to open prison doors, to open blind eyes, and so on. Well, well, what passage did Jesus look for? That's Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And this, this chapter, Isaiah 60 through 63, it's, it's really one comprehensive vision that, that Isaiah has given here. And Jesus goes right into the middle of it and picks out a verse which talks about, again, this Redeemer, this covenant mediator, this servant of the Lord, and he says to them, puts, gives it back and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is telling us that this section of Isaiah is all about him. He is the suffering servant. He is the redeemer. He is the covenant mediator. And so Isaiah is looking down over the 700 years of history that lie before him. And he's looking at the birth of a savior in Bethlehem in Judea. And so when he talks about darkness here, and when he talks about darkness in Isaiah chapter 9, he's saying to us that the people who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light, and that great light is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when you read that and you hear that, perhaps your, your mind runs to the same place my mind runs to, and that's back to the, the beginning of John's gospel, chapter 1, what's known as the prologue of his gospel, where, where the apostle John writes that he that is John the Baptist, he was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone. Jesus was coming into the world. And then we think of the words of Jesus later in John's Gospel. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Isaiah is pointing directly, it is a straight arrow pointing directly at Jesus Christ. 700 years before it ever came to pass. This is one of the many reasons why we believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Because only God has the ability to see beyond our time into the future and give us details about what will happen. Jesus, the glory of God, the light of the world, dispelling darkness. All the metaphors in Isaiah 60 all coalesce in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. What Isaiah is telling us is that in Christ men and women are restored to the image of God. In Christ, God makes us to be partakers of the divine nature so that this light, which is Jesus, will actually now indwell us and shine out from us. And as a consequence of that, Isaiah tells us that the nations are attracted to that light that will be emanating from us and, and from Jerusalem. Look at Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. He says, nations shall come to your light. 
Well, what does Isaiah see? He sees nations coming to the light. When does he see that? Well, I think you, you may recall what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the day, the day the New Testament church was born. Disciples are there in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descends on that group of 120 men and women. And all of a sudden, they, they, they're transformed and they're speaking in languages and there's all, all these signs and wonders taking place. And in Acts 2, we read that there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and Libya and Rome, comma, Cretans and Arabs, the nations of the world coming to give glory to the light that's shone in Jerusalem. And on that day, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ. And in the days following that, tens of thousands of people came to know Christ. And then as the gospel spread beyond uh, Jerusalem, it started to go out to the Gentile nations. And Gentiles were now pouring into the kingdom of God. So the deep, suffocating darkness that Isaiah sees is not political darkness. It is spiritual darkness, the darkness of sin the darkness of Satan, the darkness of idolatry, the darkness of, of the addictions that hold us captive. And it is the covenant mediator, the redeemer, who dispels this darkness, and it is only this person who could dispel the darkness. And those of you who have come to know Christ, you have this as your testimony. You know that when you came to Christ, your life, which was darkness, became light. Remember how Charles Wesley spoke of his own experience? of coming to faith in Christ? They asked, how would we know that? Because he, he tells, tells us about it in a very famous hymn that he wrote. And here's what he said, Charles Wesley, in that hymn. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was freed. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. He's not talking about physical chains. He's talking about spiritual chains, the chains of sin and spiritual darkness and addiction and lostness and blindness that held him as it holds all men and women. And he says, when he came to Jesus, those chains fell off. And I'm sure everyone in this room who has come to Jesus can say the exact same thing. You trusted Christ, and whatever chains had wrapped you up were snapped and began to fall from you. But there are even deeper layers here in Isaiah 60. Yes, Isaiah sees Jesus. He sees the birth of the church. He sees the nations coming in embryonic fashion in Acts chapter 2. But he sees even more than that. If you have your Bible or your Bible app opened up to Isaiah 60, you can just glance down to verse 19. I'll read it to you anyway in case you don't have it open. Isaiah says, The sun will no more be your light by day. Nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Does that ring a bell? This verse is picked up in Revelation chapter 21, almost verbatim, where John is describing the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, our eternal home. And so I, I think what Isaiah is seeing in Isaiah chapter 60 is this. From his point of view, the glory of God will come, and it will come in the form of the birth of a child in a manger in Bethlehem. And the glory of God will shine out of him. 
And through him and through his work and through his death and through his resurrection and through his ascension, the nations of the world will come and give their homage to Jesus Christ. And it's not so much in this world, perhaps, as in the new heavens and in the new earth that all darkness will be gone and brightness will shine as it has never shone before. That's what Isaiah sees. And that's what it means. And the last question is, so what? What effect is all that supposed to have on us as, as Christians in 2023? And I think there are at least two things, right? I could probably give you more, but I'll give you two. Two things that I think God wants us to do with this. First of all, I believe this is a, a wake-up call to the church to rise up and shine. Rise up and shine. This is the divine demand that is given to the people of God in the Old and the New Testament. It comes up a, a number of times. Rise and shine. The light in you is the glory of God, and it is meant to shine. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. Listen very carefully to this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God has given us light. God has put light in us. God has filled us really with his glory. And he wants that glory to shine out of us so that people will see in us the face of Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world, Jesus says, so let your light shine. Well, I said, that's great. And really that comes down to just another Christian cliche. Yeah, we're the light of the world, we're the light, I know that, we're the light, let's move on. Well, let's get a little, little specific. Let's get beyond just the, the cliche and think about what it means to, to shine. And I can think of three ways, there are probably a hundred, but three ways in which we as Christians can shine. Some of these might be more meaningful to, to you than others, but I'll start with the, with the low-lying fruit. Shine by holy cheerfulness. Shine by holy cheerfulness. Of all the people in the world, we ought to have shining faces, right? If not us, then who? I mean, just, just, just think about it. We've been forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, future, will never be brought against us. We have right standing before God. We are children of God. We are on our way to heaven, guaranteed. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We know the meaning of life. How great is that? Everybody wants to know the meaning of life. Everybody wants to know the reason for their existence. Why am I here? What is the purpose of it all? If you're a Christian, you know the answer to that question. You have the biggest question in the universe Taken care of, tucked away, you've got the answer. If anybody's mouth ought to be full of laughter, if any, any tongue should be tuned to the sweetest speech, if anyone should be living happy lives, it's Christians. It's Christians. Now, we all have times of sadness and depression and despair. I get that. Life is not all sunshine and butterflies. We know this. But there are some Christians, maybe you know some of them, they are never content. Never content. The weather is always wrong. Their dinner is always poorly cooked. Nothing has gone right for them in years. They're bitter, negative, critical, judgmental, always complaining. I know they'll be all right when they get to heaven, but, you know, come on. There are some people who look like they've accepted Eeyore into their heart. Right? <laughs> if you don't know who Eeyore is, ask your kids. Right? Now, 
some people, on the other hand, are just naturally cheerful people. You don't even have to be a Christian, just naturally cheerful. It comes from temperament or external circumstances or probably a combination of both. And, and some people are just naturally upbeat. And it's a very attractive uh, trait. But now we're talking about Christian cheerfulness here, holy cheerfulness. And, and that is really uh, the result uh, and the byproduct of one thing. And it's having your eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. And it's having your, your, thoughts, your thoughts focused upon all that belongs to you in Christ. And what that gives you is, is holy cheerfulness, something we might refer to as joy. And that joy, that cheerfulness, can, should, and must coexist even with sorrow. You say, I hear what you're saying, Pastor. I, I, I can see you working really hard up there, but you don't know where I work. You don't know where I live. You don't know where I go to school. You don't know who I live with. So I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you with this. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you're feeling gloomy, or if you wake up most mornings feeling gloomy because you don't like your job, or, or you don't like your school, or you don't like the people you work for or work with, or sit next to in a classroom, or your teachers, or your whatever, or your circumstances. Here's what you should do. Really do it. I, I think it'll work. Take this verse, verse 1, and, and write it down and, and put it on your breakfast plate, or next to your breakfast plate, if you've got an issue with some germs there, and put it there on the table. And while you look at that verse, say to yourself, I will not let myself get down in the dumps today. I will not begin this day mourning. God has given me light, so I must and I will shine to the praise of his glory. And God will help you to do that. Meditate on this verse. Ingest this verse. Ask God to make it a reality. Why is this so important? Why should I even care about this? Very simple. Very simple. Because this is one way in which we can adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the cheerfulness of our lives. You know, when I was a student at Stony Brook back in the uh, 80s, quite a while ago, pre-internet day for you know, some of you guys, I used to belong to a fellowship called Campus Crusade for Christ, which has been renamed to Crew. I still like the old name better, but neither here nor there. And we used to meet on Thursday nights in the student union. And uh, the administration always gave us like lousy rooms and lousy location, no matter how much we asked for bigger space and better space. And so they put us in a room just a little down the hall from the campus bar. Okay, so you, you had the campus bar, and then you know, 20 feet away is this room, and that's where the fellowship met. Intervarsity had a much better room, quite a part of the building, but Campus Crusade was right there. And it was real interesting, because there must have been 15 to 20 of us on a Thursday night, and the bar was packed, and the music was going, and, and there was smoke, and all this kind of thing. And there we are in this room, no chairs, we sat on the floor, and we're, we're singing some upbeat songs, and there's, a, there's an encouraging message given by someone, and there's a lot of laughter and so on. And one day, never forget, one day, a student walks out of that end hall lounge, and he walks past our room, and he looks in, and he comes in, and he just says to us as a group, he says, man, you guys are lit. You guys are really lit. And he saw something in that room that we probably just took for granted, that there was a joy, there was a cheerfulness, there was a happiness, there was a light that was shining there that was not shining at the end hall lounge. A cheerful Christian or a cheerful group of Christians is really a way to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not just an individual thing, it is that, but it's also a corporate thing. The church itself should be a cheerful place. 
and at First Baptist Church is anything, and it's a lot of things. It is a cheerful, cheerful place. The flip side is true. A cheerless Christian, a joyless Christian, is a bad advertisement for the good news of Jesus Christ. So let your light shine by holy cheerfulness. Number two, shine by, flip the words, cheerful holiness. Cheerful holiness. Why do I say cheerful holiness? Because for some people, holiness is like a drudgery. And they're kind of holy, but they don't look happy about it. The more holy our life is, believe it or not, the more holy we are, the more we live for Christ, the more we obey Christ, the more we strive to obey God's commands. And as Christians, we could do that because we have the Holy Spirit. This is not law. This is not moralism. We do this because we've been made able to do it by the Holy Spirit. The more we do it, the more brightly we shine. Husbands shine brightly when they love their wives. Children shine brightly when they honor and obey their parents and respect the authority that is over them like their teachers. Wives shine brightly when they respect and honor their husbands. We all shine brightly when we love our neighbor as ourselves. Let me ask you, do you love your neighbors? Do you love your neighbors? I'm not asking for an answer here, but do you love your neighbors? <laughs> because I know sometimes we, have, we all have rough neighbors. We all have difficult neighbors, right? I don't care if you live in Flushing, Bayside, Jamaica, Long Island, doesn't matter. We all have difficult neighbors. And sometimes Christians don't particularly like all the neighbors, and they let them know it. Not a good thing. Love your neighbors. Love them. Serve them. Be kind to them, even if they don't deserve it. We shine when we speak well of others. We shine when we do our work as unto the Lord. You may not like your job, your supervisor, your coworkers, anything like that, but let me tell you something. If you do your work as unto the Lord, as though it's Jesus sitting in the manager's office and you're working for him, your light will shine. When I was a school teacher for a couple of years in the late 80s in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, I was a new teacher. I was just doing that for a couple of years till God saved me from that. And in the, in the 80s, they gave new teachers a mentor, a, a, an older, more experienced teacher to kind of walk with us. And there I was in Bed-Stuy in a terrible, failing school, so I needed that. And the teacher they assigned to me was a man named Steve Nudelman. And Steve was probably in his early 50s, and his nickname, the, the nickname the teachers gave him was called uh, uh, Grumbles. Grumbles. That was my mentor, uh, Grumbles, because Steve, Steve didn't like anything. He didn't like the school, he didn't like his job, he didn't like Bed-Stuy, never smiled, nothing. He was my mentor. He was my mentor. That's not who we're supposed to be as Christians. If you realize who you are and who you ultimately work for and why you're there, you're not there just to earn a living. You're there to earn a living and, and pay your bills and make a contribution to God's work, but you're also there to let your light shine for the glory of God. That's your mission field. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter where you work. It doesn't really matter where you go to school. Just let your light shine there through your holy cheerfulness and your cheerful holiness. Christians shine by their holy lives. We become like stars. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says, In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, you shine as lights or as stars in the world. Do stars say anything? Not a word. They just shine. They just shine. They don't talk to each other about who shines more brightly. They just shine. We need to let our light shine. Some Christians think there is no shining without talking and without preaching. Not true. The fact is the very best of shining is done when we don't use too many words. 
Ah, but there's a third way that we shine. It's going to almost contradict what I just said there. We shine by gracious evangelism. Yes, we shine by holy lives, but that doesn't mean we never say anything. That's a mistake. Colossians 4.4 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, when we're sharing our faith with people, understand this, and many of you do. I hope that most, I hope all of you do. We don't shine when we condemn the people of the world. When we condemn them for their, their, their lifestyle, or their politics, or their choices, or their behaviors, or their addictions, or anything. Some Christians think that they, to, to, to share the gospel, they have to come down hard on all these things. What a mistake that is. What a mistake that is. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Why did they call Jesus the friend of sinners? And why did, why did all the tax collectors and prostitutes, really just a, a catchphrase for the most sinful people of the day, why were they so drawn to Jesus? And why was Jesus so comfortable and at home with them? Because even though he preached to them about the kingdom, and he called them to repentance, and he would tell some of them, go sin no more, they knew that he loved them. And he put his arms around them and he brought them to himself. And that in coming to Jesus, they could then be forgiven and transformed and go out as lights in the world. But he did not condemn them. Very interesting. Very interesting. Speak the gospel because without proclaiming the gospel, there is no salvation. There's the power of God for salvation. Everyone believes. But please do it with love. Please do it with, with tenderness. Please do it with, with gentleness. And you will catch a lot of fish that way. The salvation of the world depends on our shining. Shining as stars uh, through holy cheerfulness, cheerful holiness, and gracious evangelism. Listen, we are the hope of multitudes of people who are living in deep darkness, sinners who are on their way to a very unpleasant eternal destiny. The darkness over this world is very, very deep, but it is not so deep that our light, Christ himself, cannot penetrate. God has positioned all of us where he wants us to be, so that there we will shine. Secondly, this passage is a call to worship. Rise and shine, number two, bow and worship. I want to I kind of close with this beautiful picture in verses 6 and 7. Look at, these verses may seem like, what? what's Isaiah talking about? Look at verses 6 and 7. A multitude of camels shall cover you, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, shall come and they shall bring gold and frankincense, gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Doesn't that ring a bell to you? What's Isaiah talking about? As we enter into this Advent season, Isaiah wants us to remember those wise men coming from the east, the Gentiles of the earth, having seen a great light in the sky, and then seeing an even greater light in that house cradled by Mary, they presented him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. They gave him their worship. They gave him their worship. It's just a little glimpse, a little foretaste. Those, those wise men from the east, and you'll hear a sermon about this in another week or two, just a little foretaste of that great multitude that, that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, crying out in a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And see, that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? To fall down at the feet of the servant of the Lord, this conqueror king, and praise him forever and ever to the sound of angels and archangels and seraphim and cherubim singing, glory, glory, glory. 2,700 years ago, Isaiah saw a little glimpse of that. A little glimpse of that. And when we gather on a Sunday and we declare our praises the way we declared them this morning, we are in fulfillment of that. And seeing all of this, Isaiah writes to us, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you for these wonderful, upbeat, optimistic verses in Isaiah. How they motivate us. How they thrill us. How they challenge us. Your word is a never-ending source of treasure. Bless it now, Father, we pray. Bless it to our hearts and our lives for Jesus' sake. And Father, if there are any here today who have not welcomed this covenant mediator, the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, into their lives as their Lord and Savior, may you help them to call upon Jesus today for salvation. For your word says, today is the day of salvation. And all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Together we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can rise for the response song. How?
You may be seated. We continue our service with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a time when we gather together with believers all around the world in remembering the life, the death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a time uh, once a month when we commemorate uh, the work of Jesus, and uh, it's a time for believers. If you're not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you use this time as a time of quiet reflection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it reads, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, before we take uh, the bread and the cup, there's also a reminder uh, within this passage in uh, verse 27 that says, So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. We ask that you take a couple of moments of self-examination and confession before the Lord before we take the bread together. Let's go to God. Maybe for some of us, we feel unworthy as we reflect and 
we feel like we're not worthy to take the bread. But it, it, it was based on your goodness. None of us could ever take this. But it's all because of the work of Christ. So as we take the bread, let's take it with thankfulness. This is his body broken for us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we are exceedingly thankful for the work of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the body that was broken and his blood that was shed for us. That he was the atoning sacrifice who died in our place. Thank you for redeeming us through the blood of Jesus. And thank you for the new life that we now have. Help us within this Advent season and beyond to live with this cheerful holiness and a holy cheerfulness that we would um, be worshipers through and through. To you be the glory, and to us be the joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, every first Sunday of the month, uh, we have a special offering known as the Benevolence Offering. Sometimes you may hear it as the Deacon's Offering, the Fellowship Offering, it's all the same thing. Uh, Basically, what the Benevolence Offering is, is it is an offering for the needs Uh, tangible needs within the church and sometimes even outside of the walls of uh, First Baptist Church of Flushing. And this is not our usual offering. It is above and beyond uh, our usual offering. As we continue to take the uh, benevolence offering, I want to take this opportunity to welcome all the newcomers. Welcome to December. Welcome to those of you who are also remote and uh, participating in our service uh, uh, by our Facebook live feed. So we want to welcome you. Uh, And so if we have ushers who are ready with welcome cards, would you also come forward? And we do have a couple who are are ready with welcome cards. And if you are visiting with us, uh, would you raise your hands so that our ushers can identify you, hand you a a welcome card? And what we'd like you to do is to fill that out and to um, hand that to the welcome team uh, right outside the doors in the lobby area uh, after service, and you will get a gift. to commemorate your visit with us, but also uh, have some goodies in there to enjoy. And we hope that you will make this uh, your church home uh, and uh, uh, do that and we can get acquainted with you. Uh, Let me let you get acquainted with me, which leads us to our question. So I was born and raised in Manhattan, but I didn't speak English until seven. So I think of Noah Chan running around and that's probably the age when I started speaking English. So therefore, I misheard Christmas songs. And what was my favorite Christmas song? Jingle Bells, because it had a one-horse Soban sleigh. 
<laughs> so as you greet one another, as you greet one another, share your favorite Christmas uh, song's title with one another, your favorite Christmas song. One thing, I'd, one thing I'd like to uh, share, maybe I'll do this on Tuesday night, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard Beatles songs done, you know, Christmas songs done Beatles style. That's one of my favorite weird CDs at home. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's look at some, of the, let's uh, highlight some of the items uh, uh, in your bulletin. So we have next Sunday a fundraiser uh, the young adults are doing a bake sale, so they're uh, going to uh, have the proceeds go from this bake sale to a f winter retreat. So that's next Sunday, so keep that in mind. Maybe you'll do a regressive meal, eat dessert before you eat your regular lunch. Uh, and uh, I noticed out of the corner of my eye this morning, Sasha getting ready for the uh, uh, New York Cares Coat Drive. So we're going to run the New York Cares Coat Drive, uh, which has helped uh, 2.5 million New Yorkers in 35 years. So for the next three Sundays, uh, let's see, starting actually today through the Christmas Eve, uh, uh, the coat drive and this, these containers are right outside the office in the lobby. Uh, coats must be clean and in good condition. If you have questions, Sasha's email is in the bulletin. Starting next week and through the candlelight service, we'll be st uh, collecting the uh, Christmas offering, which will be designated for the completion and beautification of the lobby. Uh, the love offering will be used as a gift for the pastoral staff. Uh, three weeks from tonight, we'll be having our candlelight service and that will be at 5 p.m. that Sunday afternoon. It'll be dark. <laughs> and then we have a children's hour for ages four to seven in the second floor that, that evening. Uh, coming up in a couple of Saturdays, uh, we have the monthly in-person prayer meeting on Saturday, December 16th at 11 a.m. in the College and Career Room. Uh, Mondays, we're co continuing with our Zoom prayer meeting at noon and our uh, uh, floral arrangements. Uh, you can continue to sign up uh, with Angela Lee for that at $25 a week, so we continue to beautify the sanctuary as well. 
And for the men, a reminder that we have our uh, dinner uh, for the men's fellowship meeting this coming Tuesday at 6.30. So please RSVP to Joe Cena if you have a chance to do that. Um, and so I'll ask the ushers to come forward now. And Pastor Aaron mentioned the uh, special above and beyond offering for, um, to take care of tangible needs. And then we have our regular offering, which takes care of our regular budgetary needs. And we just passed the budget uh, a few weeks ago. And this is what goes to that. And uh, would you pray with me as uh, we ask the Lord's blessing on that? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, just as we can display this uh, holy cheerfulness and cheerful holiness, Lord, we do that with our finances. And we uh, ask, Lord, that you would bless uh, these offerings, bless our disposition so that we can be a cheerful giver. And we ask that you would glorify yourself through uh, the giving. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now would you all stand in preparation for the benediction and hear these words from Jesus to us. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Would you pray? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, would you give us this light to shine before men, Lord? May we display that cheerful holiness and the holy cheerfulness to others, uh, not only during this holiday season, but forever. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>